0: We've been worshipping the Lord, talking to Him, and now the service takes a slight change. The Lord's going to be speaking to us through His Word and through the preaching of the Word. And one way of worshipping the Lord is to listen to His voice. So let's open our hearts and our ears to hear what the Lord has to say to His people this morning.
1: Celebrate the festival of tabernacles for seven days after you have gathered the produce of your threshing floor and your winepress. Be joyful at your festival, you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites, the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns. For seven days, celebrate the festival to the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and in all the work of your hands, and your joy will be complete. Three times a year, all your men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, at the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of tabernacles. No one should appear before the Lord empty handed. Each of you must bring a gift In proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you this is the word of the Lord praise be be to God
2: God. the second reading is from Leviticus Leviticus 23 beginning with the 23rd I'm sorry the 33rd uh, verse the Lord said to Moses say to the Israelites on the 15th day of the seventh month the Lord's festival of tabernacles begins and last for seven days. The first day is a sacred assembly. Do no regular work. For seven days, present food offerings to the Lord, and on the eighth day, hold a sacred assembly and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a closing special assembly. Do no regular work. There are the Lord's appointed festivals, which you are to, to proclaim as sacred assemblies for bringing food offerings to the Lord the burnt offerings and grain offerings, sacrifices and drink offerings required for each day. These offerings are in addition to those of the Lord's Sabbath, in addition to your gifts and whatever you have vowed, all the freewill offerings you give to the Lord. So beginning with the 15th day of the seventh month, after you have gathered the crops of the land, celebrate the festival, to the Lord for seven days. The first day is a day of Sabbath rest, and the eighth day is also a day of Sabbath rest. On the first day, you are to take branches from luxuriant trees from palms, willows, and other leafy trees, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Celebrate this as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Celebrate it in the seventh month. Live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters. So your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord.
0: The Gospel reading that's appointed for this Sunday is from Luke chapter 17 now i know i told you all to sit down (laughs) but it is a tradition to stand uh, when you hear the words of the king brothers and sisters the good news according to luke beginning at verse 11. now on this his way to jerusalem jesus traveled along the border between samaria and the galilee as he was going into a village Ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance, and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. And let's pray.
3: And Father, we <clears throat> ask you to teach us and instruct us from what our fathers, long, long time ago, learned in the wilderness. And we pray that, uh, that their lessons, or that instruction, Lord, will be our lessons and uh, instruction to us. And Lord, we ask that your word, as we apply it to our lives, will indeed be life and bring us uh, into a deeper uh, and more intimate understanding of who you are and into a deeper knowledge of the Lord. And we do ask this through Jesus our Savior, our Messiah, our King, amen. I'd like to, um, of course, say a few words about the, oh, sorry, just children. Any kids, any kids would like to escape from the wrath that is to come? The 27-point sermon that goes on for an hour and 20 minutes. We have coloring books for adults. Well, some were wise and some are foolish. So, of course, we um, are on the eve of the great uh, festival of Sukkot. I think as most of us know, it is the seventh and last biblical festival, yes. Uh, of the year. There are seven festivals within seven months, and there are 70 days in a year, according to a Hebrew calendar, in which there is no work. And of course, we know that every seven years, uh, there is a sabbatical that the land must lay fallow, and then every seven times, seven years, there is a uh, year of uh, jubilee. And the holiday that we're about to celebrate is one that is very Jewish, yet it's also one that is uh, very universal. And perhaps it might be, at least according to scripture, yes, the one that is most universal. And so it not only has a past, but it also has a future, right? There's a great eschatological event, which I'm not quite sure how, it will work out, but all the nations will come up to to Jerusalem. And this is according to the prophet Zechariah. But I do think we need to read that in light of what we uh, read at the end of the book of Revelation. So it's not so much the past and it's not the future that I think is important for us now. I think it's the present. And the question is, what is this holiday Say to us now? How does it teach us or instruct us or guide us, yes, in the age in which we live? And uh, I think there's some very, very um, helpful uh, instruction from God Himself, and I, I would suggest that we pay attention to this. But the thing I'd like to highlight first and foremost, and I think the verse that really stands out, at least for me, is a verse that we read in Leviticus. It was our second reading. And in Leviticus, it says the following. It says that um, Leviticus 23, uh, 42. I'll actually start on 41. Celebrate this as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Celebrate it in the seventh month of the Hebrew calendar. Live in booths for seven days. All native born Israelites are to live in booths. So your descendants, and this is what I think is significant. So your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in booths when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Why do you do this prescribed ritual? Why do you live in booths? You live in booths so that the descendants, or we, may know that the Lord brought, yes, our fathers out from Egypt. And that word, know, is extremely important. Because when we talk about knowledge dot um, in the Bible, uh, we very often, or when we use the phrase, oh, know the Lord, or know the ways of the Lord, it's very often uh, understood by us, I'm afraid, in a very shallow way. And we think knowledge of, the, knowledge of God is right theology. And I don't want to condemn or belittle having right biblical theology, or we think it might be a knowledge of knowing that God exists, and being able to tell other people, to prove to other people that uh, God himself uh, exists. But the word in Hebrew, yes, is not just something uh, intellectual, yes, but it is, really best translated as uh, knowing by experience, yeah, not just knowing from a book, knowing uh, through uh, perception, knowing via relationship. Yes. That word, the word yodea, yes, is used to describe the physical sexual relationship between a man and a wife that it has the strongest sense of intimacy, yes, relationship, connectedness. So living in these booths, yes, and all that goes with it, should, what it should do, is lead us to a deeper understanding of the Lord and even to a deeper devotion. And let me give you an example. There's um, my, Newly, inter- newly infallible version of the Bible. Yes, it takes. Um, here, it takes a verse such as this. It says, "For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea." Isaiah chapter 11. Isn't that a beautiful verse? <laughs> it was the verse that the pilgrims loved? Yes, as they expected continuous worldwide revival yes the earth will be filled will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea I don't think that means a lot but the uh, Jewish Publication Society Bible translates it as follows the world will be full of the devotion to the Lord yes as the waters cover the sea Surely that makes a difference, yes? Oh, and by the way, when we read these Messianic verses about the Messiah, a shoot shall come from the same chapter in Isaiah. A a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and power, the spirit of the knowledge of the fear of the Lord. Take the word knowledge and change it to devotion, right? Because it's intimacy. It's relational. It's more than just intellectual. I mean, it is intellectual, but that's not where it stops, right? So I think that's a key key place. That's a key verse to keep in mind. And the gospel verse that we read or the gospel story that we read today was the appointed gospel story. And I think it works very, very well. And I'd like to just read one verse from that, uh, uh, that incident. Jesus asked the man who came, he said, "'We're not all 10 cleansed. "'Where were the other nine? "'Was no one found to return and give praise to God "'except for this foreigner?' "'Then he said to him, "'Rise and go, your faith.'" Yes, your faith has made you well. And so we return to this verse. But in the meantime, how, does, how is it that the, the feast, with all its joyful traditions, how is it that it's going to speak to us, teach us, instruct us, yes, give us more confidence, actually give us that uh, faith, that biblical faith, which is a loyalty and a persistence and a refusal to give up even in the midst of uh, hardship or difficulty or uncertainty. Yeah. All of this is uh, incredibly necessary for the age in which we live because we live, do we not, in an age of great uncertainty. It wasn't actually the case a few years ago, but now we have technology that is changing our lives at the most rapid rate possible. All the old institutions and the old systems are collapsing. They still exist, but they're in the process of falling apart. We live in the midst of a a culture war. We live in the midst of great ethnic and political division within many societies. Our political systems uh, are having a hard time holding up under the pressure and we once thought you know these things will be around forever democracy and prosperity and the rule of law etc we can't be sure about that anymore and we have uh, an unprecedented economic situation my country is 31 billion dollars in debt but it lives like there's no tomorrow and uh, we keep spending money and tell tell ourselves we're too big to fail. Ha, ha, ha. We're too big to fail. And there's talk of nuclear war in Europe. Now, if you're not worried, you should be. Because uh, we, many people, uh, in their anxiety and in their fear, are ready to give up their freedom as someone will just come along and solve the problem. And others just don't want to hear about it. And they put, we put our head in the sand and think, oh, this is going to be okay. But both of those responses are dangerous. And what we need to do is to take a lesson, I would suggest, from the sukkah and uh, from, from the holiday. And this holiday of joy and thankfulness, I need to remind everyone, it's not something that happens on its own or by itself. It's connected very closely with Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur is the day of repentance. Yes, it's the day in which one uh, reconciles oneself, yes, to the God of Israel. And of course, we, I think we all know that before we can go and uh, begin a time of fasting or prayer seeking God's mercy um, asking, for his, uh, asking for his forgiveness. Two things have to happen. One, we have to make sure that we're right with our neighbors or with others. Um, so you, one can't go uh, and begin fasting and asking for mercy and yet uh, refuse to forgive others. And secondly, we, there may, it may be necessary And our repentance to make restitution. Yes, if we've stolen, we may need to repay. If we have uh, gossiped, we we should surely go to those people and try to undo the damage we've created, so on and so forth, yes? Repentance has to be practical, and there has to be fruits, yes? Um, You might say worthy of repentance, as John the Baptist uh, told those who came out To be baptized by him so it's a holiday and indeed it's a holiday of great joy but it's been preceded by repentance it's been preceded by people who um, hopefully sincerely yes want God's strength and power uh, to turn from their sin and to walk in a new direction yes And all of these holidays, including this great festivities that we're about to celebrate, all of them, in context, are surely about holiness, yes? That these are holidays, these are times uh, in which we celebrate before the Lord, right? It's not just a a party that we have at a football game, or it's not uh, a Fourth of July event, or uh, the, the, teenage, the teenage dance, whatever it may be. So we need to make sure that we're clear, right, that uh, when we come to uh, this time of celebration, or when we come to this time of joy, it is something that uh, we're doing uh, before the Lord. And what makes it holy is not only that there's a separation from evil, okay, okay, because the, where, where was this holiday originally? Where was, it, uh, you might, where was it commemorated or where was this event? In Jerusalem. What, is our text, what does the text say that we read from the psalm? It says "Who from page one of our liturgy, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place, meaning the temple? Yes, he who has clean hands and a pure heart and does not lift his soul up to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. So coming into the Lord's presence requires some purity. right? Yes, it requires, it's not exactly come just as I am, it's come after a time of repentance, and knowing that if we're approaching the Holy One, that we ourselves must be holy. And so there's not only holiness, is not only just uh, staying away from evil, but it's also equal, as equally important, and let us never forget this, it's about God's goodness. What makes the God of Israel holy? It's not that he's separate and powerful, yes. It's not that he's completely other than his creation, yes. But he's also good. And may I remind you that there are many so-called gods in the world. And these gods, whether they're um, strongholds that we as human beings build, or whether they're they're demonic forces or powers, whatever they may be, they indeed can be powerful. But the question is, are they good? And the answer is always no, because they don't have um, uh, our best Yes. Uh, in mind for them. And we need to remember that the God the God in his holiness. Yes. He wants to enhance life. He wants to bring us blessing. He wants to bring us joy. But all of those things will be contingent on our uh, all of those things are contingent on our obedience. And so I'd just like to take the passage from Jeremiah. Sorry from. Deuteronomy for a moment, and look at a few things, yes, that allows us, so, okay, so here we have, um, here we have the feast, here we have the Feast of Tabernacles, and let's remember what this feast commemorates, as uh, Leviticus tells us. It commemorates God's provision for his people in the desert. And what is the desert? Can I remind you that the desert is a place of uncertainty, that the desert was always a place of danger, that the desert was always a place of lawlessness, right? That the desert surely was a place of anxiety because you didn't know if you were going to be attacked, you didn't know if you were gonna get lost, you didn't know if you were gonna find enough water or food to live or you might be attacked by wild animals, or you might fall off a, a ledge, yes, and, and die. So God is providing for people, yes, uh, at a time of scarcity. He's providing for us, or providing for his people, at a time when there's great anxiety and great fear. That's the setting of this feast. And the question might be can God prepare a table in the wilderness yes and in our anxiety and in our fear and in our worry about the future yes the question is can we sit in our sukkah yes and can we rejoice or do we let the cares and worries and the fragility of life you somehow destroy that joy and ultimately destroy that witness and overcome with faith that we have so here's what the Lord says to do he says in the book he says celebrate yes now the Lord is commanding us to have a party yes uh, to have a party yes in the context of holiness but to celebrate yes after we've done what after the after the harvest after we've done our bit and our part yes after we see the blessings that the lord has given us the response should be oh i did this myself why do i need to celebrate or you know this is the result of my hard work and my cleverness no the Lord says to celebrate and then he commands us in the same passage I'm reading from Deuteronomy 16 be joyful and I think I remind people at least once a year that virtually in no other place in the Bible are we command or does God command our emotions but he does here and actually once in the the passage before concerning Pentecost he commands us to be joyful yes and we need to, especially those of us who are cranky, or those of us who see always the, the dark side of life or the or pessimistic, uh, we need to remember that on one hand, being joyful, especially as Christians, is a fruit of the Spirit, is it not? Yeah? But it's also a discipline. It's also a spiritual discipline. It's a little bit like repentance. Repentance is a gift. That God gives us but it's also something it's also something that we ourselves must do and we must exercise and there's something of a paradox there but when we find ourselves you know overcome by life we need to make the purposeful and decision we need to be intentional in saying I am returning to joy with the Lord's help right I'm placing all these things in the Lord's hands I'm going to go sit in my sukkah, okay it may be metaphorical but we may have to sit in our sukkah virtually every day. Be joyful at your feast. And who should be joyful? Your sons, your daughters, your manservants, your maidservants, the Levites, those who serve the Lord, the aliens, those who are not part of the community, the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns. So this should be a celebration for everyone, not just those who have money are not those who are just fully Israelites, right? All should rejoice before the Lord. Now what is, the, what, is, uh, what the, you might say, the purpose of, uh, of joy? When we are joyful, it is the, I think, the deepest and the most sincerest form of gratitude that we can give to the Lord, right? We're saying thank you to the Lord for his provision We're saying thank you to the Lord for his provision and whether the times are good or whether the times are bad. But if we say thank you without joy, yeah? Are we really grateful? Are we really sincere? Yes. Being joyful, yes. When someone gives us a million dollars, is it like, oh yeah, thanks. (laughs) I'll send you an email. And when I get around to it? Or is it like, oh my goodness, you know, is there something explosive, ecstatic? And what has the Lord given us? Eternal life, a future, a victory over death, life even before death, right? Again, do we express joy? Or maybe are we like some people I know, repressed and afraid of joy? or even afraid of expressing joy, yes? And it's very instructive, I think, that one of the reasons that a curse will come upon Israel in the book of Deuteronomy is because Israel served the Lord without joy, okay? And that's in verse 28, no, chapter 29, 28, sorry. It says, all these curses came upon you. They will pursue you and overtake you, because you did not obey the Lord your God and observe his commandments and decrees um, that, uh, uh, you, sorry, because you did not serve the Lord joyfully and gladly in the time of prosperity. Therefore, in hunger and thirst and nakedness and dire poverty, you will serve the enemies the Lord sends you. He will put an iron yoke around your neck, etc., etc because you did not serve the Lord joyfully in the time of our prosperity. And I think the question for many of us, especially those of us who live in the West, is we've enjoyed a lot of security and a lot of prosperity, and we have taken this for granted. We just expect that this is going to happen generation after generation, right? And we just think the system works, and there's no sense of dependency upon God. Well, when someone in our family gets cancer, then, of course, we're gonna throw ourselves on the mercy of the Lord, yes? But for our daily provision, for our security, yes? There's a fine line between a blessing and a curse. And prosperity, and this is not knocking prosperity or abundance or affluence, has its many benefits but it also has its curses. Yes, and so this is to be one of joy. Secondly, it's to be one of giving. Yes, uh, in, the, in the festival itself, uh, as we read in Deuteronomy, we are to, not to come empty-handed before the Lord, right? It's to be a time of giving. It's not only to be a time of, oh, I'm thankful for what the Lord has done for me, but I'm going to express that thanks in a very practical and a very concrete way. And that's gonna be done with giving. It's gonna be done with, um, it says, each of you must bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord your God has blessed you. Now, does God really need our gifts? Does he need a sacrifice? Does he need wine? Does he need flour? In the ancient world, the gods who were not gods, they needed those things. Yes, our God doesn't need such things. But why does he command us to, to bring? Why does he command us to sacrifice? And the reason that he does so is because he wants to enter into a relationship with us. You remember the, the man who sent you a million dollars or the woman who sent you the million, a foundation who sent you a million dollars? Why did they give you the million dollars? yes and in our day and age we think oh there are no strings attached but God gives with strings attached and by the way we should not give with strings attached but God gives with strings attached and what what does he want from us he wants us to enter into relationship yes we he gives to us and we give back to him not that we can repay him This is not about repayment or it's not about works it's about a response and it's through the giving of gifts yes that an intimacy and a relationship develops in fact the word for a sacrifice in Hebrew is korban korban comes from the Hebrew word right to be near to be close it's in sacrificial giving yes It's in our sacrificial giving to the Lord or giving to other people, yes, that we come into a relationship, a deeper and more intimate relationship with him. It's not just about something that happens in our heart or something that happens in our head. It certainly happens, yes. Uh, And so all of this, I would hope, challenges us. Can we be joyful and can we be generous in an age of anxiety or an age of worry? Or are we simply going to focus on ourselves and worry about our future and uh, in some way become selfish uh, and refusing to, uh, refusing to, to give out? All of this joy and all of the gratitude uh, that we um, express doesn't have to happen at Sukkot. Sukkot is a good reminder. And living in the booth is is going to help us, again, whether it's literal or metaphorical, help us to come to a deeper knowledge of uh, of who the Lord is but we can practice gratitude every day. Keep a list of the things the Lord has done for you and rehearse that list uh, with others, maybe with a spouse, or to go over that list regularly with someone in your, um, when you're on your family. Refuse to be cynical, refuse to become hopeless, yes, thinking, you know, well, life is is miserable and terrible and whatever it may be. And by the way, one of the problems that keep us from being thankful is that we actually as human beings, most of us, believe we haven't, God didn't give us what we really deserved. You know, he's holding out on us. There has to be more. I mean, look at the nose he gave me. Look at the body, I can't even afford plastic surgery. Look at the body parts he gave, look at the husband he gave me. And look at my kids, they're a wreck. Yeah, and my job, you know, at the Amazon warehouse, I hate it. (laughs) And I'm soon going to be replaced by a drone. And my future is, who knows where my future security is going to come from. You know, why is he treating me like this? I don't have a lot to be thankful for. Oh, yes, we do. Oh, yes, we do. We have an enormous amount to be thankful for and we need to practice that gratitude, yes? And we need to remain, despite our circumstances, we need to remain joyful, yeah? The the sukha reminds us life is fragile, life is risky, but in the midst of all that, in the midst of, maybe there's going to be an economic collapse, or maybe there'll be a war, and I'm not saying we should not be concerned about these things, but in the midst of all these things, but in the midst of a health scare and worries about our children, yes, we need to rejoice. And we need to um, take heart that uh, God does care for us and God uh, certainly loves us. And I think uh, coming to that understanding, I believe it surely strengthens faith. And what do I mean by faith? I don't mean, oh, I'm claiming my healing or I'm claiming God's gonna sin. Faith in its biblical context, uh, as we read about in the Gospels and the book, of, book of, of Luke or the book of Hebrews, faith is about persistence and it's about the refusal to give up. And faith often requires making some kind of, some kind of an effort. Yes, the man, who was healed and who came back to say thank you to Jesus, made an effort right, to express his, you might say, to express his thanksgiving, to express his gratitude. And Jesus said, it's that kind of faith. It's that kind of persistence. It's that kind of uh, refusal to give up or the need, sometimes the need to go out of your way and to make an effort. This is what's brought healing to the man. Now, the man was already healed, really, from his so, so the healing was something spiritual, or even something actually deeper, yes. And so I think these, I would hope that these, are things that we'll remember. Finally, I'd like to just quote the um, a very famous Old Testament scholar. He wrote something, he said, in his opinion he thought that uh, Psalm 100 was actually a psalm used by pilgrims uh, when uh, they went up to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles and he said this he said the joy spoken in this psalm is not naive but a battered one it's the joy that has known hardship and yet came out the other end It's the joy that has been tested and is sure of where it stands, regardless of the circumstances. It's no longer joy that believes and expects that nothing bad will ever happen, but it's joy that knows bad things will keep on happening. But it also knows that the Lord is God, he is good, and his love endures forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we're going to end with that psalm. And you don't have it on the screen, but I will just recite a line and ask you if, uh, to repeat after me. It's a very short song, okay? So, shout for joy to the Lord, all oh, the earth. <laughs> Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before, him with joyful songs. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. I know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. And we are His. We are His people. The sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving. Enter His gates with And his courts with praise. Give thanks, to him and his name. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Not yet, for the Lord is good. Lord is good. And his love, his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Through all generations. Do you know the um, what they do in Africa? Yes, someone stands up and says, God is good. And how do the people respond? All the time. time. Amen. Amen.
1: Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.